Good morning. Let's find a place. It's so good to see you here today. I want to introduce myself. Um, I'm a visitor here today. I feel like it's so beautiful, all the work that's been done, and I'm so thankful for everybody that's put in a lot of time and effort to make things nice. There's still a few details they're working on, but we got a lot of the big, big rocks out of the way. And so, so thankful to all the men and ladies. I know some of them worked a lot as well to make this happen for us, and we'll be able to enjoy this, Lord willing, for a long time to come. Thank you for praying for me and my family as we were out of town. We had a wonderful time away and a good time of relaxing and, and refreshing and some exercise too. And uh, so we enjoyed that with the kids and everybody, seeing some family and friends. I had a wonderful time just uh, thinking about all that God has been doing and all that God will do. I'm just excited. It was being able to share that testimony with a lot of different people over the last couple of weeks. And it's so encouraging as I travel around a little bit to hear people who tell me, I've been praying for your church ever since you started. I met a guy just this past week at the men's retreat I was at, and uh, I had never met him before in my life, but a friend of a friend of a friend kind of deal. And he said, I've been following what God is doing at Arise Baptist Church. And he said, I'm so excited about that. And it's a blessing to know God's people are praying and encouraging one another. And it was a blessing to hear of different ones who were encouraging other ones here while we were away and just to see all that God is doing. And I'm excited to be able to come together and worship Him together this morning and sing praises to Him and hear from His Word and fellowship together as believers. Uh, this ought to be, I think, the best day of the week as we get to set aside time to put our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ first in everything that we do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, and then Freddie will come and read to us from God's Word. Father, we thank you for this day. It is good to be together, to be able to praise your name, to be able to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to lift up one another and bear one another's burdens in prayer, to be able to encourage one another as we sing praises to you, and to be able to learn from your Word this morning. Lord, we thank you for all the work that's gone in in preparation for this day, uh, the folks that have worked in putting in the carpet and the painting and the, and the new construction work and the decorating and all of the things that have taken place there. But that doesn't even begin to talk about, Lord, all of the study that has gone in and the preparation for the music and those serving in the nursery and junior church and cleaning the building and all the things. You've put together such a tremendous body here, not only to take care of itself, but as we look forward to continue to reach out into this lost and dying world. I pray, Lord, today for David and Adriana Cripps as they continue to work to prepare for the start of new life. Baptist Church just down the road, encourage them, provide for their needs, and we thank you for all that you're doing there. Lord, I'm thankful for our missionaries serving you around the world, and thankful for the opportunity even this week to speak with James Pridgen over in Uganda and to hear again what you're doing in such a wonderful way. Lord, I pray as well for our friend, Brother Garlic, and it's a blessing to have his son with us here today. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to encourage him and his family we thank you for the blessing that they've been to us. Lord, bless our service now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether these they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my suffering for you, and will fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Wherefore I am made minister, am a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Did you hear what we just sang? I was just thinking about that as we were singing those words. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. I don't know about you, but... I, I'm pretty sure there's some people came to church with some burdens today. And I just want you to know that burden can be lifted in Jesus today. Amen. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. There's a lot of burdens in the world at large today, a lot of fighting, a lot of angry people, a lot of sick people, a lot of nervousness and insecurity. Those are all burdens, physical burdens. There's people here that are struggling with physical difficulties, needs, maybe a diagnosis a friend, a loved one, family member. We had somebody in our church this week, family member passed away. Brother James's grandmother passed away yesterday. 
That's a burden. How can he come and sing on Sunday and play his cello? Because burdens are lifted at Calvary. Why do we gather here today? It's because burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. I'm thankful for the strength that comes in the Lord. And uh, just sitting down here singing that song, I thought, I need to come up and say something. Not just something, but remind us what we just sang about. And if you're carrying a burden today, I hope you'll leave it at Calvary today as well. Well, we're going to dismiss our boys and girls out to junior church at this time. And uh, they're heading out the door. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 this morning. I think we're going to finish out this chapter today. Thankful for the work that was done in seeking the Lord's will and picking the songs that we sang this morning. I think that they just fit right with the theme where the Lord has us today. When there are great burdens in this world and in our lives, it's important to know how to take care of those burdens. And uh, we sang about that, burdens are lifted at Calvary. But often when we go through struggles and difficulties in our life, it causes us to, I would say, lose focus on why we're really here. It's incredibly important that we know our purpose, that we know why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. Even more so as we consider the state of our society today. If you had a lot of stocks, you might not have been happy this week. The stock market dropped a lot. If you're concerned about your health, you probably have a lot of concerns now with all the things going on in the news. And just for fun, you know, I saw there was a giant swimming pool created on, in, on 610 in Houston this week too when the, uh, when the water main broke down there. I, I guess I skipped town at a really good time. There were people talking about it everywhere we went. I found out about it from other people who ha don't even live in Houston because they heard about it before I heard about it because I was out of town. If you've been watching the news, obviously the thing that just seems to be at the top all the time is the election this year. Well, what are we going to do? Even this week we have voting here in Houston. What are we to do? What is going on? What is the purpose? I was thinking about this idea of living with purpose, and I wrote down three ideas by way of introduction this morning. If we're going to live with purpose, I think it demands three things. First of all, we need to know what we are to do. What am I to do? What am I supposed to do? Secondly, I think it's important that we know why we're supposed to do it. It's one thing to know what you're supposed to do, but if you're going to really continue to do it, you need to know the why. Understanding the why is important. But I think finally, understanding how you are to do it is also incredibly important. If you know what your job is and why you're supposed to do it, but you don't know how to do it, you're kind of stuck, aren't you? And I think that's the truth sometimes when it comes to the Christian life. I think a lot of people have at least an idea, at least in church, of what we're supposed to be doing. You know, God's given us the Great Commission. God's commanded us to worship Him, all of these things. I think maybe a few less, but we kind of understand, hopefully, the why. 
why God has given us this to do. But I think where we struggle sometimes is the how. How am I supposed to live my life on mission with everything else that's going on around me, with all of the competing uh, priorities, with the importance of providing for my family, trying to keep everybody safe, live in the world that I'm in, deal with the family drama or you know difficulties going on around us? How can we do all of these things and still accomplish the purpose that God has given for us? We've been studying through the book of Colossians this year and thinking about this theme of walking worthy. And we've talked briefly, and we're going to get more into this as we continue to go through the year, about four different areas that we need to be able to work on to walk worthy of the Lord. We see these on the wall, growing in our knowledge of God. That's growing in our personal relationship with Him, not just knowing more about what He says, but understanding how that personally affects me and changes my life. And as we grow in the knowledge of God, we can bear fruit, we can give thanks, we can be strengthened with all power, strengthened with all might. In fact, if you were uh, listening as Freddie finished reading the passage for this morning, you'll notice that at the end of Colossians chapter 1, he talks about, he uses this phrase, which worketh in me mightily. This talks about the might, the strength of God. I believe here in, the, in verses 24 to 29, which is where we're going to focus this morning, Paul gives us his personal philosophy of ministry, why he did what he did, and what his purpose was in doing what he was doing. And he also gives us some help on the how as well to carry out what God has for us. The Apostle Paul, as many of you would know, was a man who did not grow up following God. Now, he would have claimed that he followed God. He was a very religious man. He was trained in the highest levels of institutions in the land. He had the best education. He had the best lineage. He was not only this um, great Bible student of the law, but he also was a man who was a Roman citizen. He had great stature in society. But he spent his time traveling around and persecuting Christians. You say, how could a religious man persecute Christians? Well, there's lots of religious people that persecute Christians. Because religion is not the answer. We sang it this morning. Burdens are not lifted at church in religion. Amen. They're lift, lift, lifted at Calvary. So Paul, the, Paul was not named Paul at that point. His name was Saul, and he, he was not a very nice man, and he imprisoned Christians. He killed Christians. He did all kinds of awful things. But God, His grace is greater, right, than all of our sin. We sang that this morning, too. Because you look at a guy like Paul, and if we had known Paul, we'd probably been praying that God would kill him, that God would remove him, that God would do something. And instead of doing any of those things, God saved him. Aren't you thankful that God saved you? Because some of you, if we were to see you a few years ago, we might have looked at that guy and say, boy, God, get rid of him. God, move him. God, take him away. God, get this person out of my life. And instead, God saved you. Isn't that a blessing? And if you're not saved this morning, God can save you too. And he can take you from a place of 
maybe emptiness in your life, struggle or enemy of God, and He can make you one of His children. And it's the greatest thing in all the world. That's what God did for Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus one day. And from that point on, Saul of Tarsus later became known as Paul the Apostle, who we think of as the greatest missionary and and proclaimer of the gospel all around the world. God used him to start churches all around the then-known world. And it wasn't an easy road. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He went through, he was shipwrecked. He went through all kinds of awful things. But God had a plan. And when God has a plan, he never fails. God worked that plan using a willing servant, the Apostle Paul, to accomplish a great thing that we today are beneficiaries of. I think it's wonderful when you think about a church, how it's great what God is doing here, but it's also great to think what will be 50 years, 100 years, 200 years from now if the Lord doesn't return. The Apostle Paul, as he's serving the Lord, I don't think he had any idea what would happen a thousand, two thousand years after his life. You and I really can't comprehend all of that, just like he couldn't comprehend it. But what he could do was serve God faithfully and do what God told him to do in that particular moment. And that's all really God asks of us. We don't know what's going to happen a thousand years from now. I mean, come on, we don't even know what's going to happen an hour from now. But what God has called for us to do is to serve Him faithfully right here where we are. Sometimes we're concerned, what's going to happen tomorrow, this week, this year, next year, 10 years from now? Those things we have no control over. What we do have a choice in the matter is what we do right now, right in this moment. So as we look at these verses this morning, I hope it'll help you and challenge you as it's challenged me to think about God's purpose for our life, just as Paul is writing how God's purpose worked in his heart and helped him to serve him. Notice verse 24. He finishes verse 23. Paul says, I am made a minister, verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, there's a lot in verse 24, but let me try to help you break this down a little bit. Point number one this morning, rejoice in the suffering or rejoice in the opportunity to suffer in service. Rejoice in the opportunity to suffer in service. Notice verse 24 again. Paul says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. How could Paul find joy in his suffering for somebody else? How is there joy in suffering? We had some friends this week who posted a picture on Facebook they have this little bundle wrapped up and they're looking at this little child. There was some suffering involved in bringing that child into the world. But there's a lot of joy. 
there's a lot of joy. Some of you parents this week may have had a sick child at home. Maybe they were up in the night running around causing problems. Maybe they weren't sick at all. They were just normal, messy, causing problems. And you think, oh, what am I going to do? Some of the mothers this morning, this is the first moment they haven't had to chase a child this week because somebody's chasing them over in the nursery right now or in junior church right now. There's a lot of work and suffering involved in service. But there's also great joy. Paul said, I'm rejoicing as I suffer for you. Notice the suffering of the servant. So the servant, by definition, is suffering or working on the behalf of somebody else. And sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's not even enjoyable. And yet there's joy in a servant who truly understands who his master is and that he has a good master if your master is God and that he's serving him. There's great joy in that because of who you're serving. There's joy for the mother in giving birth because she gets to enjoy the child. There's joy in the parent who's raising the young one because you get to enjoy the child. There's joy in the person who goes to work and works hard through the blood, the sweat, and the tears because you get to enjoy what comes out of that work. I guarantee you there was some sweat drops shed in this building over the last couple of weeks, and yet we get to enjoy it today. I think some of the greatest joys in life come through suffering. And you know the greatest joy of all is the thought that we can spend eternity in heaven with God. But do you know why we're able to enjoy that? Because of great suffering. Because of great suffering. For he was made sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We see the suffering of the servant, but you can also see in this verse the suffering of the Savior. He talks about this, he says, which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. See, the afflictions of Christ were what saved us. But Paul, as his servant, continues to suffer for his sake and for our sake. That's why he talks about filling up the afflictions of Christ. So he's living in what Christ has done to be able to take what God has done for us through Jesus in dying for our sins and suffering for our sins and living in that to go and continue to suffer on behalf of others. Why? Because he wants them to understand the suffering that Christ did for them as well. He wants them to understand why Christ did this for them. Paul understood there was going to be some suffering required of him so that others could fully appreciate the suffering that Christ did on their behalf. Think about what Christ did when he died. Did he just die for you? No, the Bible says he died for the whole world. But there are a lot of people in the world that don't know that. Or if they know about it, they definitely don't appreciate it. 
and they haven't responded to it. They haven't accepted the free gift of salvation. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer on behalf of you, and I rejoice in those sufferings. See, there's great joy in suffering when you understand what comes out on the other end. Just like for the mother who gives birth, there's great joy in the suffering of that because she knows the hope of holding that child in her arms. There's great joy for the parent in suffering along with their children because there's the hope that that child will grow and there's great joy in raising those children. There's great joy even in the suffering of working and sweating and building something because we know what we're going to get to enjoy when it's completed. There's great joy in suffering in the service of the Lord because we know what the opportunity is on the other end. Paul says, I rejoice in the opportunity to suffer in service. We see the suffering of the servant, the suffering of the Savior, but I think we notice specifically who he's suffering for. At the end of verse 24, he says, the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. Who is the body of Christ? I am, you are, the church. He, he helps us understand which is the church. We see the suffering for the saved. Again, the reward of it all. I tell you, I, I was excited all week. All right, I get to be back at my church this week. I was in church while I was gone, but I wasn't at my church. And it's special to be part of this body. It's special to be in other churches, and I've enjoyed doing that. When I get to fellowship with other believers, it's amazing when you walk into a place and say, I don't know you at all, but when I know that you know Jesus and I see you rejoicing in Him, it's a blessing to be able to fellowship in that. And heaven's going to be wonderful. But right here, right now, the most special church for me is, is my church because this is the one I, I really want to suffer for. This is the one I want to work for because this is the one I get to rejoice the most with. Because we get to see God work and God grow and God change and God turn people towards Him. And that's a blessing. I think for a lot of times, you know, most of the rejoicing people found in church is hearing what God was doing someplace else. And I'm thankful to be in a church where we can rejoice in what God is doing right here. Now, I'm excited about what God is doing other places. But, you know, we don't get to fully appreciate that if we're not investing in what we have right here. Because it's one thing to sit in your seat and go, well, that's great over there. But right here, just not that great at all. It's great when we see God at work, isn't it? It's great when people get saved, isn't it? It's great when we see people baptized and when people grow in the Lord and when people change. It's worthy of rejoicing even in the suffering. Did you know that suffering, the Bible tells us, is actually a gift from God? Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given, it's a gift, on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Say, so why is that something that's a gift? Because it's something we can rejoice in. Because the person who has suffered through it has so much more joy on the other side. You know what? I saw the picture of that baby born this week and I thought, well, that's great for those people. I'm happy for them. But you know what? I don't have the joy that they have because it's not my child. You know, you ever drive down a road and 
You see somebody building a new house, and you're like, oh, that's a nice house. Sometimes our covetousness and greed creeps out. I wish that was my house. But you know what? The person who enjoys the house is the one to whom that house belongs. They worked for it. They paid for it. They, they suffered for it. Now it's theirs and they get to rejoice it. Paul says there's great rejoicing in suffering. God says it's a gift that you get to suffer because when you are able to suffer for something, God gives us the ability and allows us to work for something and then to get to rejoice and enjoy the reward. You know, God's big enough, I believe, He could do everything He does and not use a single one of us. It's a gift that He allows us to serve Him. Does God really need a servant? I mean, if He has all power, why doesn't He just... Snap his fingers and make it happen. Because he delights in using us. And we get to rejoice, even in the suffering that it is in service sometimes, because we get to reap the rewards and the benefits that come in serving the Lord. God doesn't need you. God wants you. That's special. He wants to use you. He could accomplish whatever he was going to accomplish without us, but he wants to use us. That's how he's chosen to work. The Bible talks about how the gospel has been given to us, been placed in earthen vessels, clay pots. He could have used the rocks to cry out and preach the gospel, but he didn't. He gave that to you and to me. Imagine you're driving down the road and all of a sudden the curb starts preaching at you. <laughs> all of a sudden God takes over your radio and turns off your music and turns on the Bible being read to you. You say, why doesn't God do those things? Because that's not how God has chosen to work. God has chosen to use weak, broken, failure-prone, difficult struggling, not always the brightest people who still mess up and sin, by the way, those kind of people, to suffer to serve Him. Isn't that a blessing? This encouraged me this week. Notice in verses 25 and 26, he said, Paul again speaks of how he's a minister. He keeps reminding us over and over. And this word minister, we sometimes think, well, that means he's like a preacher or pastor. What that means is he's a servant. Paul says, I'm a minister. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Oh, and if you forgot, I'm a servant, and we need that reminder too, don't we? Because sometimes, well, I'm somebody, look at me, look, look at this. No, I'm a servant, I'm a servant. Who do I serve? I serve him, I serve him, I serve him, I serve the Lord. Paul says, I'm a minister, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. So the ability to serve, number two, the opportunity to serve, the ability to serve is a gift from God. According to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, 
to fulfill the word of God. If you went back a few verses in Colossians chapter 1, you see one of those ways that we walk worthy is being filled with the knowledge of God or growing in our knowledge of God. As we grow in our relationship with God, we are able to accomplish God's will for our life. God's will for our life, His gift to us, is to be able to serve Him. Verse 26, he even talks about this mystery. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints. He goes on further and talks about this mystery that God could take Jews... God's chosen people. We read about their history in the Old Testament specifically. But he could also take Gentiles and he could put them all together and make a church. One body of all different people, nations, tongues, people, lands. The Bible says that's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven is just going to be the fullest expression of what the church here is just beginning to be. Because in heaven, that's when all believers will be called together. There won't be, he'll separate, the Bible talks about separating the sheep and the goats or the wheat and the tares. Sometimes there's some mixed in that really aren't followers of God. They're, they're pretending to be, but they're not. He's going to gather those people that right now we've never met, that maybe we can't even speak their language, but he's going to gather those to himself. He's going to bring those people. I love it when our missionaries come through and tell us about the people down in Latin America serving the Lord. I think, well, there's a lot of believers that we're going to get to rejoice together with. And then we hear from Brother Pridgen over in Uganda and hear about all those believers worshiping the Lord. And Brother Shelby over in Kenya and all those believers worshiping the Lord. You know, he told us when he was here last fall, uh, in all the churches they've started in the last 20 or 25 years, there's now some 3,000 believers gathering every week to worship God. I don't know any of them, but I'm looking forward to getting to know them someday. That's the great mystery that God could bring people from every nation and tongue and people and place, Jews and Gentiles, and bring them together this is a great mystery. It was hid from ages and from generations through the whole Old Testament. They never thought that was possible. But in Christ, as He died on the cross for our sin, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was rent in two. In other words, making, giving access to everybody to be able to come before the throne of grace, to be able to speak their needs directly to God, to be able to confess their sin directly to God. No longer did we need to come to a priest. No longer did we need this sacrificial system. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and instead in him in Christ we are alive and we are one in him Amen. see the opportunity to serve is a gift from God serving is a gift from God to us for others got to follow that it's a gift from God that God gives to us and it's for others. God doesn't give us the gift of service to serve ourselves. <laughs> Although we're pretty good at doing that naturally, aren't we? 
I spent some time serving myself this morning, you know. I made sure I served myself a donut this morning. Made sure I served myself the things that I wanted to do to be able to get here today. We're, we have no problem whatsoever in serving ourselves. The challenge is serving others because serving others requires suffering. I don't want to suffer. Why? Because it's hard. <laughs> That's generally the answer to everything that we don't want to do, because it's hard. I don't want to talk to them about that problem. Why? Because it's hard. I don't want to deal with that situation. Why? Because it's hard with my kids. I don't want to wash the dishes. Why? Because it's hard. Now, what's interesting is, and I'm not very old yet, but the older I get, the things I thought were going to be really hard, even if they were hard, when I get through them to the other side, I think, I am really glad that I did that hard thing. Because the rejoicing on the other side of the hard thing was a whole lot better than staring at that hard thing. It's kind of like we were in the mountains last week. If you stand at the bottom of a mountain and look up, you go, wow, that'd be really hard to get up there. But it is worth it every time you get to the top. It's, the view is amazing. To reflect on our Creator is incredible. It's worth it every time. You think, why do these crazy people climb mountains? Because they really like to get to the top. It's amazing. Now, we may look at what they're doing and say, I wouldn't want to go through that. Understood. God didn't call you to climb physical mountains, but there are a lot of spiritual mountains He wants us to climb with Him. And they are hard to climb. But that's why we're walking with the friend that sticks closer than a brother, the one who bears our burdens, the one who lifts us up when we've fallen down, the one who never leaves us or forsake us, forsakes us, the one who's always with us. He takes us through, and then He lets us rejoice. Look, we made it to the top. Wait a minute, did you really make it to the top, or did He make it to the top, and He just took you along with Him? You've seen that poem about footprints in the sand, right? And turn around, there were two sets of footprints, and I turn around, there was only one, and, and I asked, why was there only one? Well, that was when God carried you. You know, I, I think most of my life, when I look back, I want to be able to look back and see only one set of footprints, because it was God carrying me the whole way. And I think if we're honest, that's how it really is if we're walking with Him. Yeah. Not to find strength in ourselves, but to find strength in Him. And yet He wants us to be willing to take the journey with Him. Realize that serving is a gift from God to us for others. And it is a fulfillment of God's word to us. It's a fulfillment of God's word to us. Notice in the middle of verse 25, he says, I am made a minister. That's a gift from God. According to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. That's where I got that first point. Notice the last phrase. To fulfill the Word of God. Serving God, serving others as we serve Him, is a gift from God, from God to us for others. And it is a fulfillment of God's Word to us. In other words, it's God's plan for your life. If you wonder, what's my purpose? Serve God by serving others. It's my purpose. That's why I'm here. 
And then I think we see here in verse 26, as he talks about the mystery and already talked about the church, and he finishes off, but now is made manifest to his saints, serving or service to God is done through the church. He was serving the saints. I just think this is really important. There's a lot of service that goes on in this world. But I think God's plan for us as Christians is to find our primary areas of service to Him, the spiritual service that we do, being done through our church. In other words, if you can serve God and it doesn't help others to grow into the body of Christ the church, then that service is probably not as effective or as important as maybe we think it is. I think that's what he's saying in this verse, that this mystery that was hid from generations, but it's now been made manifest to his saints. It's to his believers. If you go back into the context, he's talking about this suffering is for His body's sake, which is the church. It's for building the body of Christ. This is, at the end of verse 25, to fulfill the Word of God. I think the greatest service to the Lord is that which helps to build the body of Christ, which is the church. And I think as Christians, it's very important then that we evaluate our areas of service and say, is this area of service helping to fulfill that great commission responsibility of making disciples, reaching the lost for the building of the body of Christ, the church? And if it's not, maybe I need to reevaluate how I think of my service. You know, I'm doing a lot of good things, but do the good things that I'm doing really accomplish the best purpose. But there's a lot of places you can serve. There's a lot of places you can do. And please understand me. I'm not just talking about volunteering in the nursery. Don't, don't get me wrong. This goes way beyond that. Okay, This is about helping somebody to come into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? This is about helping others. So this can happen not just sitting here. This happens when you're at work. This happens in your neighborhood with your neighbors. This happens as you interact with people, even at the grocery store, at the park, at the bank, wherever you go, at the doctor's office. God has placed me here to serve Him. How can I best serve Him? It's by pointing other people to Christ. What could I say? What could I do? What could I give? How could I serve how could I suffer for this individual, this person, this group of people to help point them towards Christ? That's why we're here. That's why Paul said, that, that's my whole purpose of life. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's why I'm supposed to do it. I believe as Christians, as children of God, if we would be laser focused on that purpose in our life, we would... Yes, suffer maybe more for it. Because sometimes we kind of skirt around issues. Like, I'm not going to do that because that's a lot of suffering. So I'm going to go serve over here where it's easy. But it's not really pointing people to Christ, but it still makes me feel good because I'm helping people. But I'm not really pointing people towards Christ. 
And so I'm just going to stay over here where no suffering is. That's not an indictment on people sitting over here. I'm just using this as an illustration. But over here where the spirit hard... No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> In the middle, this is always that middle crowd, you know, I don't know. No, that's not the point. But the point is this. Can I pursue after Christ, even if it means suffering for him, but with the preeminent purpose of bringing glory to God by pointing others to Jesus. And God, don't let me avoid the suffering just to fulfill myself and pat myself on the back and say, well, I did serve, but it wasn't really for the purpose of pointing people towards Christ. Then I haven't fully fulfilled my purpose for Him, which is God's will according to His Word, which is a gift from God. This is what we're being challenged, I believe. This is what I was challenged about this week. Because I can sure fill up my time with a lot of good stuff, a lot of nice stuff, a lot of fun things, a lot of personally fulfilling things. But while it's fulfilling in this life, I would just ask you this. Is what you're doing with your time to serve, will it be fulfilling when you get to heaven? Because... The souls of men, women, boys, and girls, that's all that we get to take with us. And I think there's going to be a lot of Christians who are really busy serving all over the place. But they'll get to heaven someday and look around and say, but I don't know if I brought anybody with me. I don't think that will be as fulfilling. Make sure that what you're doing is not just fulfilling today, but it's fulfilling for eternity. It has eternal value. That means parents with your children, grandparents with your grandchildren, people with your neighbors. I was, I was um, visiting a place one time at church. This lady had become good friends with all of her neighbors. She had put together the best snack closet in the whole world. Like we would visit her house and she said, you can go in there, you can take whatever you want. She gave us even a bag to go in and just take all the goodies that we want and fill up snacks. She really knew how to minister to people in ministry, Brother Joe. But she said, you know what I do with this? I'm good friends with all my neighbors. All the neighborhood kids come to my house because I have all the snacks at my house. And she said, we've set up a place for the kids to play in the backyard. She had children. And she said, you know what? Their moms come over, their kids, and I, I tell them about Jesus with a snack closet. In a couple of weeks, there's going to be a group of folks going over to the Mirabella Apartments. And if you're able to come, I hope that you'll be a part of that. We'll probably be taking some snacks some games, some activities. At Christmas, we took some presents. But it's full of boys and girls over there that need to hear about the Lord. And we want to be able to take the message of Jesus Christ to them. That's pretty fulfilling stuff. The opportunity to serve is a gift from God. Number three, 
God's gift of service gives us our purpose for life. Look at verses 27 and 28. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There's that purpose, that we may present. That means to give, to put to the Lord, every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's our purpose for our life. God desires us to make known the riches of His glory to all people. You know, there's people on your street that don't know about Jesus. Right here in Houston, Texas, in what the area someone referred to as the Bible Belt, there's a church on every corner, and yet there's people everywhere that don't know about Jesus. Say, really? Yeah, if you, if you don't know that, just talk to a few people. You'll find them all over the place. Jesus had one prayer request. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that God would send forth laborers into his harvest. And do you know why he had that prayer request? Because Jesus said this, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Have you ever thought about that? That means the harvest is greater. There are more people that don't know about Jesus, but that want to be saved than there are those to tell them. What are we doing? What are we doing? See, we're not out saving people. We don't save them. Jesus saves them. We don't sing, we have heard the joyful sound. Pastor Will saves, Pastor... No, it's Jesus saves. We don't save anybody. But we do get the opportunity to serve. And it is suffering sometimes because not everybody else always wants to hear. Not everybody responds the first time, but you're not there to save them. You're there to tell them who can save them. Point them in the direction. Somebody said it this way. Sharing the gospel with somebody else is just... One beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And God lets us enjoy the great rewards. Even though they're suffering in doing it, we get to enjoy the rewards and the blessing that comes in serving Him. God desires us to make known the riches of His glory to all people, that Christ saves Jews and Gentiles. That's what he says here in verse 28, warning every man. That's every person. Galatians 3.28 says it this way, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That's not a verse saying, well, there's not genders or there's not different. No, what it's saying is, in Christ, everybody can have salvation in Christ. Don't take the word of God and twist it to mean something that it doesn't mean. We're one in Christ because we can all be saved in Him. In other words, there's not a special salvation for men. 
And it's a different thing for ladies. No, it's available to men and women. It's not, well, he only died for the Jews. No, he, he died for the Gentiles. He died for them all. And if he died for them all, then we ought to share the message with all. Christ gives us the hope of eternal life. He finishes verse 27. He says, which is Christ in you? The hope of glory. Speaking of that eternal glory that comes with the Lord forever. There's so much more that could be said, but for sake of time, I want to go right to the last point this morning. Verse 29, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So we've seen God's purpose for our life. We've seen the why. Here he talks about the how. Whereunto, in other words, this is my purpose, preach the gospel to every man, warn every man, point them towards Christ, point them towards the Lord, bring them into the body of Christ, into the church. Verse 29, whereunto, this is what I'm doing, I also labor. This word labor is a word that means working even to the point of exhaustion, just completely giving yourself to a work. I look around this room, I know there's a lot of people in here that know how to work very hard. Some of you get up every single day and work very, very hard. Some of you, even in retirement, work very hard. I remember the first time I went over to visit Ruth at her house and went out in the yard and I saw how much work she did to keep everything up. She works hard. And I thought, well, she probably just spends all of her time working in the yard. No. Ruth calls up, hey, we're going to go Monday night to visit, visit and feed the homeless. Well, she, she and Linda make cookies and bring food and go shopping and go down and feed homeless people for the purpose of sharing Jesus with them. That's hard work. So what are these two ladies bound by themselves on the streets of Houston? No, it's a little safer than that. A lot of people wouldn't do it, even if they were young and fit. I'm thankful that these two ladies are fit enough to go do that. They work hard. And Tuesdays is Bible study up here and making blankets to take to children, encourage them. And I don't know what the rest of your week entails, but I know it's full. It's busy. It's hard work. It's labor. I am positive every night when Ruth goes to bed, she's tired, exhausted. But God's given us all the same number of minutes in the day. He hadn't given us all the same level of energy, but we can take what he has given us even if it means suffering, and give it to Him by serving others with the purpose of pointing people to Jesus. Time is so valuable. And we're constantly spending it. It's a resource you cannot hold on to. And people work really hard to try to extend it, but even that, 
while we can have good health and exercise and we should take care of what God has given us, we don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. Because you can be the healthiest person in the world and it still be all taken away. Paul says, here's my purpose. To point people to Christ. To live for Him, warn every man, to get to, to every single person I possibly can. I'm going to labor in this. Where do I also labor? I think it would behoove us, it would be good for each of us to sit down with a daily planner or just a blank sheet of paper and say, how am I spending my time? How am I laboring for the Lord? I need to provide for my family. God's told me to do that. I've got to take care of the things around the house. I've got to take care of my children. All that, by the way, can still be used in service for the Lord. Sometimes we think, well, I've got to do all this, and then I have this little bit of time left to serve the Lord. No, it should be all service to the Lord. But how can I take what I'm already doing and make sure I'm not wasting those in-between times, that time where I'm just sort of doing nothing and wasting my life when I could use it for a better purpose than what I am doing. And then take the things that I have to do. I have to go to work. I got to go to school. I got to, you know, take care of the house. I got to clean. Got to raise the kid. Got to do. How can I take those things and use them for the purpose of pointing other people to Christ? It's amazing. If you'll take some time and give it some thought, how much you can redeem the time because the days are evil. You can find ways to buy that time back and use it for the Lord. It doesn't mean I quit my job, right? And I just go do nothing. No, but it means how can I take what I'm already doing, make sure it's good, right? I don't want to just be doing bad things with my time. But if it's a good thing that I should be doing, how can I take it and make sure that I'm using it for the Lord? Whereunto I also labor. This is a hard work. It's an exhausting work. You'll go to bed tired every night. Striving according to His working. So this is God working in me. And it's this wonderful thought of as I go to work, and it's a hard labor, and I'm tired doing it. But if I'm doing it for the Lord, the Lord is working in me. He's guiding my steps and my path to make what I'm doing purposeful and valuable for Him because that's my desire, God, to serve you. So take me to the people today that I can tell about you. Help me to have words that speak and point others to Christ. God, give me opportunities to share the gospel wherever I go. God, lead me into conversations so that others could know you. Lord, help me to keep my spirit and my attitude under control so that I'm not turning other people away from Christ with the way I'm acting and behaving. God, help me even though this unexpected thing just came up and I had to go to the doctor and I wasn't expecting it or I had to deal with this situation that I didn't want to deal with, God, help me to use those to point other people to you. Because maybe you sent me to the doctor today to deal with a health situation that I didn't know I had, but instead of getting me all focused on myself, maybe I could use that because there's somebody else in the waiting room that I was supposed to meet. Or maybe I was supposed to meet the doctor that day because she needed to hear about Jesus. Or maybe this unexpected detour in my life really wasn't a detour for God at all. God took you out of one place and put you in another place because God has somebody there for you to reach. Whereunto I labor, striving according to His working. That's God's working through us. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And then that final phrase, which worketh in me mightily. Because here's the reality at the end of the day. If I'm supposed to warn every man, tell every person about the Lord, this task is too great for me. I cannot do it. I am insufficient to do the work that God has for me. That's why we do it as He's working in us, but He works in us mightily in the strength of the Lord. Philippians 4.13, I can do, right? All things, wait through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You can't do this in your own strength. I love the the tension in verse 29 there. I labor and he works in me mightily. As I'm giving myself completely to him, God, you're going to have to work through me. You're going to have to guide my steps and my paths. You're going to have to help me because, boy, I'm, I don't have it all. I don't know it all. I don't know what to do. I don't have all the energy, all the direction, all the everything together, but I'm going to allow you to work through me. I'm giving my life to you. And God, if you'll work mightily, everybody will get the glory because they'll look at little old me and go, I'm nobody, but he is everything. And I can point other people to him and he gets the glory and his church is built. The body is growing. People are changing to be like Christ. And someday heaven will be that much more special with all the people who say, wow, I knew that person. I led them to Christ. Oh boy, but it wasn't really me. (laughs) Boy, the Lord intersected our paths in such a unique way. I've told this story before, but it's been a while. So I want to tell it again in closing. Several years ago, before we moved back to Texas, we lived in Indiana. And we were working at a church up there and helping a pastor and to rebuild a church. We'd been there, I don't know, a year, year and a half. And one Sunday, this young couple came and visited our church. And they had just had a baby. And after this little child was born, they looked at each other and they said, we don't know what we're supposed to do. And then one of them said, maybe we should go to church. And then the next question, well, which church should we go to? Because there's a lot of churches in Indiana, just like there's a lot of churches in Texas. So they pulled out the yellow pages for the town, and they made a list of all the churches in the town. This is a town of, I think, 15,000 people where we live. I think they said there were 50 churches in the town. (laughs) Houston wouldn't be much different if you really started lining everyone out. So then the next big decision, well, where do we start? Well, they they first crossed off the church where they got married uh, because... The pastor there, as he counseled them, he said, now I want you to know you're probably going to get divorced because most people do. He said, I don't think that's the church we want to go to. By the way, if you're in a church and they're not teaching you the Bible, that's not where you want to go. Just simple. (laughs) 
So then they said, well, where do we go first? And they said, well, there's this church right down the street from us. Let's try that one first. That just happened to be ours. And I say just happened. I say that tongue in cheek. Because I think God put all the things together that make that necessary. So they show up one Sunday and sat there. A few people greeted them. And they left and they said, that was kind of strange. <laughs> they told us this later. It was a little different. We've never been to a church like that before. That guy was really excited about what he was talking about from the Bible. He, he laughed and, he, and, and he cried too. And we just weren't sure. And that, that's pastor. That's what he did. And they said, well, we ought to give everybody at least two chances. So the next Sunday, they came back. And that Sunday, they were greeted and, and they were encouraged from the word. And it wasn't long after that, they got saved. And a couple different ones of us, my wife, myself, a couple other people in the church, we got to come alongside this couple and start discipling them. And we took that book, that continued book, and we sat down and started going through it. Well, the lady, she, she was enjoying it, but she was so busy with her kids and everything else. You know, this one child, and it wasn't long after that, they had a second child. and So she was, she was listening, but she just didn't have time to focus on it. The man, on the other hand, he went all in. He's a plumber. We like, we like plumbers. And... Uh, Jeremiah's one. And, and the man just, boy, he, he went all in. And every day he's reading his Bible and he's studying, he's growing. He's reading his Bible two, three hours a day. And he's writing me these long questions, detailed questions. You know, you're used to those kind of baby Christian questions. You're like, oh, yeah, I know what they're going to ask. And you're kind of ready with the answer and you can give them that. Not Dustin, boy, he's challenging you. He's giving you these hard questions. You're like, wow, I'm going to have to study. And so I'm giving him the answers, and we're working through it. I started taking some of those answers and share, or questions and sharing them with our deacons and saying, how would you answer this question? <laughs> a couple of them, they said, wow, I don't know. A few months later, he came and he said, I'm ready to be baptized. He said, I've been studying the Bible about it. You know, we talked about that in our study, but I went and studied some more. And he had written like, a three-page paper on baptism. He said, I've studied out all the passages that I can find, and here's what baptism means, and here's why I should be baptized. And he said, I'm ready to do it. I said, man, that's fantastic. I shared that paper out with the other men in the church too. A couple of them said, I've been going to church for 40 years, and I didn't know all those reasons why I was supposed to be baptized. He gets baptized. His wife gets baptized. He's grown in the Lord. His wife is growing along with him because as he's reading and studying, he's going and teaching her the things that he's learning. A couple years later, God is working in our hearts and we move back to Houston. It's time to, God is moving to plant this church. We get started that summer. They came and they're going out visiting. And they knocked on a door and they visited a couple, Matt and Cindy. Invite them to church. Matt and Cindy came to church. A couple of uh, months later, Hurricane Harvey happened. We had like 25 people in the church at that point. And 
Cindy works for a nonprofit that helps people with housing. And she calls me and said, there's all these people on this street. It's uh, Teasdale Street or something that need help. I said, okay, I don't know where that is, but I'll find it. And I, I know really where it is now. <laughs> and I drive over there and we just started going house to house and helping people and trying to share the gospel and give them food and water, whatever they need. Every house on the street flooded. We get about halfway down the street and there's, there's this guy out front cleaning up his yard, and he's got a hat on, and it says, God is good all the time. And I looked at him, and, and I said, Larry, I didn't know his name then, but, but I looked at him, and I said, do you really believe what that hat says? And he goes, oh, yes, yes, I do. And he said, let me tell you, he said, I may have lost my house, I may have lost all my stuff, but he said, I still got God. God is good. God is good all the time. I thought, here's a man that believes that. Because he'd had six and a half feet of water in his house. And his wife, Angela, is there with him. And, and she's a quiet lady, but clearly a lady that walked with God. And I said, can we pray together? And so we prayed. and We gave him a few things, I think, and then went on. A couple weeks later, or a week or so later, I thought, I still want to minister to these people, but, you know, where do we go? And I thought, we need to just go back. So we went back to Teasdale Street and... and uh, Started talking with some of the people, and there he was, back in the yard again, with that same hat on. It's probably the only hat he had left. I don't know. <laughs> Everything else has been lost in the flood. And then I think I, he asked me, like, who are you, and what are you doing? And I said, well, we just started a little church over here. And he goes, you're a pastor, and I was trying to tell you how to get saved. <laughs> I said... I said, I'm thankful for a man who wants to tell people about Jesus. He's not worried who they are. A testimony, a witness. Went through some suffering, a whole lot. And that was just not even all of it. That was just the start of it. God took his wife home to heaven. He got flooded again. This year, last year. But God's still good all the time. And there's some suffering along the way. You know, we didn't get flooded, but we were trying to suffer along with those who did and serve them. And God gave us some tremendous opportunities. Went through a couple in Indiana to Texas to this. And now Larry, I can't even begin to talk about all the people he's had an impact in in our church. I know of one couple. One day last year, this couple drives into the parking lot. Larry walks out, and it was Ken and Kathy Rembert. They said, well, we just kind of came by to see this church. We'd heard about it, but never been here. And so they drive into the parking lot, <clears throat> and God had Larry here to meet them. I came in a little bit later, and Larry said, this couple just stopped by. And, and I told him about the Lord and said, this is, a, this is your church. I don't remember all that, but I think he was like ready to bring them on in and toured them around the building and did the whole thing. And I'm thankful they're here now and having an impact on others. And that's just one little string of people. But every single person in this church, there's another way that God worked in them to bring them here. And you know what? I believe there's a whole lot of people out there that God has us now to continue to go and reach. I did contact the manufacturer before we ordered these chairs. And I said, can we get more in the same color? And they said, absolutely. 
He said, good, because when these are full, we'll just put some more in the bank. And then when that gets full, we'll have, have the children, you know, they can start in, in their class or what, whatever we have to do. Or maybe even better, we'll just we'll start even another church. That'd be a blessing, wouldn't it? Because I have a big map on my wall and there's places all around Houston where there are some churches, but I think they need a church that's going to actively go pursue people with the gospel. Not just say, hey, we're here, come join us if you want, but I'll say, we'll go find those that are lost and hurting. It might be suffering along the way to do it. Not everybody may like it, but there's people that need Jesus. And this is only going to get done as he's working in us mightily to accomplish it. What does God want you to do with your life? Have you been resisting serving him because it just seemed too hard? It is hard. Have the struggles that you've been going through kind of kept you from or, or caused you to lose your focus? And you've said, I just am tired of dealing with some of this stuff and I'm just going to pull back. I'm just going to put it into neutral and coast or I'm going to back away a little bit because there's a lot of pain and difficulty. We are reading words penned by a man, Paul the Apostle, who went through incredible pain and suffering for the cause of Christ, rejected by the people that loved him, stoned by the people who he used to participate in fellowship with, those same religious leaders, locked up in prison for doing what he used to lock other people up in prison for doing. And yet, I can guarantee that this morning, Paul the Apostle is rejoicing. I can guarantee you he's not upset about how he spent his life. He's not looking back and saying, well, that was a waste of a life. No, he's looking back probably and saying, I wish I had done even more. I hope that you'll Take what God is speaking to your heart about from this morning and say, how can I either get a focus for the Lord? I need to trust in Him and give my life to Him. Or how can I refocus this morning to live out the purpose that God has for me? If you've listened well, I know it's been a long message. I had a lot saved up. <laughs> but folks, let's not leave here unchanged by the word of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, help us. Help us to be the servants of you that you want us to be. Lord, help us to understand the great need around us. Keep us from being distracted and turned away from the lost and dying in this world and instead pursue after them with everything that we have. Lord, we know it'll be difficult. We know it'll be a labor. We know we'll be tired. We may suffer. Help us to find great joy in that suffering because we know 
the great rewards that are to come. We love you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're able, I'd invite you to just stand to your feet this morning along with me and join me in standing. And if God has spoken to your heart, I'd invite you to come. A new carpet, a comfortable place to kneel. But more importantly, a place where you can come and give your life to Christ if you need to do that. Recommit your life to Him. Maybe there's somebody you want to pray for this morning. As I was preaching, God spoke to your heart about somebody and you said, I haven't been as faithful in praying for them as I should. I need to go and share the gospel with them. Would you come this morning as the piano plays? You come now.